Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And if in your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDoc founder membership. Imagine if all your customers paid up front the moment you signed a contract. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth, on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or going to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. can be even better if we understand who in that customer base that you want more of, who you are not a good fit for. If that clarity exists, then whatever the pace that you are growing, you can actually grow even faster because the entire organization can align around it is my biggest learning. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Krish Subramanian. Uh, CEO and co-founder at Chargebee. How are you doing, uh, Chris? Good to see you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm not sure if this is correct information, but I heard that you moved to Amsterdam. Is, is, are my sources correct? I am. Right. I'm in Amsterdam office right now. Yes. Good. Two months back with family. Yes. And uh, we now have a 35-member European team. So it's good to be here. Very cool. What was, it, what was the reason to move to Amsterdam? Was it just about growing this European office or... You, yeah, uh, what was the yeah, European business is doing well, right? And uh, so we have leadership teams that have been built in India and US reasonably well. And then it felt like, okay, I could lend a hand and then also be from a time zone perspective, I'm available in both the time zones in India with the larger team there. But the customer base is heavily in, like 95% customers are US and Europe based for us. So it makes sense for me to be closer to the time zone of the customers. And uh, Europe makes it much, much more easier not to like completely move to the US versus like being in the middle to serve everyone so what, what what's uh what's one of the main differences between chennai and amsterdam hmm. interesting i think uh infrastructure right even after two months i still don't have a car and i don't miss it mm-hmm. L- i love it <laughs> to just bicycle around or just take the bus so it's it's so convenient um and things have opened up right more safer uh, in the current environment uh, now the offices are open in europe um, and um, so it's it's good. Well, good stuff. But actually, I, I believe that I will be in Amsterdam in September. We're doing, uh, I think, we're doing SaaS.local Amsterdam returning in person 
Um, so uh, you'll you'll have to come. We'll, we'll have to organize it. And uh, um, let's do it in our office. Yeah, I I think uh, the location may have been selected, but we'll we'll sort it out. And definitely we'll we'll have to do uh, dinner or something. But at least you you come to that event. So uh, look forward to that and in person events. Uh, returning so uh, uh, that'll be great but uh, Christian you, you've been on the podcast a couple of times now um, and I think like actually you first I first met you at SAS.2016 in Dublin and I believe the charge me was at seed stage um, I, I mean in 2016 was that yeah. correct? seed series A yeah, yeah just yeah see yeah. whatever the, the ABC is but more importantly it was like okay we had the product market fit we were serving a, yeah. a few hundred customers and we yeah. were about I think 50 60 people at yeah. that time yes. and what, so um, <laughs> what's the difference what's the difference you're, where you are now you're a series G 218 million in funding how many people what, what's new about sort of like you and, and, and charge B that uh, perhaps we, we you, you know was different obviously from apart from the size you, you know back then now we serve over 3500 paying customers globally and um, you know business continues to be 50 percent North America more than 40 45 percent is Europe and the rest in APAC um, and a team of about uh, close to 600 people now uh, with uh, close to 75 people now in US, 35 people in Europe and the rest in India. Um, and uh, I think from a maturity standpoint, a uh, couple of years back, we still did not have a senior leadership team. Right now we have the, the senior leadership team of CROs, CPO, CMO, mm-hmm. right, hired, right, and uh, CFO, right? All of those people identified, hired, and with, uh, each of them building their own organizations in a different way. And I'm also learning as a founder to let go, give away the Lego blocks and then like walk the perimeter, right? While everybody else is playing the ball, right? And uh, so it's actually a very interesting transition to go through that. So that's going, that's happening. Are you still, you, you mentioned about learning as a founder. Um, again, now I guess you, you've got this team of 600. Are you still learning? Do you feel like, uh, you, you know, as much now as, as you were, you, you know, back in the early days or is like foot off the gas on the learning side of things? Actually learning is on steel, right? Is how I would put it. The reason is, uh, uh, see, as founders, we try to do a little bit of everything, right? And a little bit of mind share into multiple functions, and we try to do best of what we can at that time. And now we are able to observe others actually giving 100% mind share into every one of the functions and how they are actually scaling the rituals in every function seems very different. Like our product team has their own all hands every week, right? And then what do they talk about is very different. And our sales has the, the war threads that goes on, which feed, people feed off each other's energy about all the deals they are working on and how they actually go about it. It's very interesting to see people actually execute the rituals they bring into every function, the microcultures that actually form, um, which as a founder, you could not do because it's like everybody's equal and then you give a little bit of mindset everywhere versus each function actually evolving nicely is a, is a lot of learning. And then now I have, like my staff meeting is now a very interesting learning experience for me to have a, a set of folks who are very senior, who are almost like like advisors, right? Working uh, and and my, what I bring to the table is a context uh, of the customers and uh, the organization and the progress. But what they bring in is a specialization in terms of um, a career spent only as a specialist to doing something very, very specific, right? And, and um, so the learning is definitely... Uh, amazing uh, to watch them execute and then continue to enable. Looking back to your journey, you, you know, to and past 10 million ARR, you know, some years ago, 
Um, what was like, I'm, I'm sure it was multiple things, of course, that uh, you and the business did and your, your, your team did to kind of help you push, you know, through past 10 million ARR. But can you kind of you know, pick like one, you, you know, kind of like one thing or so that, that really kind of helped and made a difference? Sure. Right. I think the, the context here from, I think this is a podcast for founders, right? So it's very important that uh, um, we share the, the uh, I, I want to make sure I share the context, right? So things did not come easily for us, right? It was a real struggle through the first five years of, where two years was spent bootstrapping, then we took money. And then still after that, for three years plus, we were figuring out things. So there was this figuring out phase that was happening for four or five years, but thankfully we had very patient people who were just backing us to continue to solve the same problem, right? And like get to a point where we were able to do this stuff. Right? And then things, I mean, once the thing started scaling, it's scaling beautifully, but that that's how it was, right? And then when you actually get to a point where you are able to like get from the one to 10 million in less than like eight or nine quarters, then that's amazing. And that happened to us in scale. So in hindsight, I'm able to look at it as a, a bunch of learnings that I hope to be able to pass on as shared learnings for others to be able to do it better. But by no means, I'm actually saying this is how we, like, we did it, we got it right yeah. first time, right? So with that caveat, the I think for me, the biggest learning is some of the counterintuitive things that we had to do between that one to 10 million journey that was super helpful, right? A case in point, one of the things is the feature bloat that happens um, is something that we all commit to very subconsciously in the product. For example, nobody purchases charge B in a buying decision thinking, oh, so these guys have text email and also HTML email that allows us to send beautiful emails. That's not a differentiator and that's not a feature based on which somebody is purchasing a product. And, uh, and yet as an engineer uh, founder, right, you tend to think oh, that's so important. And then we ended up putting this one simple thing called HTML email. And then every single feature that we had to ship out, like one field that we had, we had to think, oh, is this? supposed to get included in that order email, subscription email, notification, and how is it supposed to look, browser testing, mobile, all form factor. We had to do all of that. This is crazy, right? So this is why now I'm able to realize that, okay, now every feature that we added previously has that cascading effect of slowing us down later. The, the second most important one um, for me as a biggest learning was it would look like when we are hitting product market and we are able to sell to like a few hundred customers, it almost feels like, yes, it's we are selling well and there is a velocity, but actually it can be even better if we understand who in that customer base that you want more of, who you are not a good fit for. If that clarity exists, then whatever the pace that you are growing, you can actually grow even faster because the entire organization can align around it is my biggest learning. As an example, uh, we... At that time, right, we used to have a mix of customers where services businesses and then mm, SaaS businesses and different types of businesses were in charge. B, right? Imagine having 200 customers and then, but you know that there is a 50 of your existing customers are a perfect fit, right? If you get 500 more of those, you would love to take them all day long because one, they are like finding every feature that you are building, like almost most features valuable. Second, the features that you are building you can, they will actually consume it. It's not like some of them will use it, but all these 50 will use it. The other 150 may actually ignore the new features that you are building. And uh, the third one is it also, you do not waste your time and money in acquiring leads 
um, which are not that perfect fit because the success of the the compounding nature of SaaS is that it has to drive net retention rate. You, whatever feature you are building, that your consumption of that needs to go up, and the new features that you want to be able to cross sell later, you want them. Uh, you, you want to build things that people will actually consume. So this segmentation and spending taking time out to actually understand your existing customer base and knowing which ones are green, that's a perfect fit. Which ones are yeah. yellow, that's like an okay fit. Like which ones are red where you wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt you if the customer leaves or you don't get more of those customers. Not because they are bad customers, just that they are not the best customers for you. Mm-hmm. They're probably a great customer for somebody else who thinks of them in the green bucket. You probably don't think of them in the green bucket is important, right? I think that counterintuitive nature, instead of actually trying to think like, okay, every customer who's showing up at the doorstep and trying to get into service mentality to acquire them, instead of deliberately making that clear across the organization, I wish I had done that earlier. Like giving that level of clarity to the marketing team, to the sales team to know who's, uh, the marketing should know who is likely to become a sales qualified lead, right? And uh, then product should know who sales is actually going to bring in and who they are going to say no to. Like across organization, implementation team, customer success team, everybody should have the same vocabulary to have this level of clarity, I think is a, is a thing that we don't invest enough time into to get to that level of clarity, but I wish we had done more of that. I think this right sets you up for amazing NR, net retention rate, where your customer sticks, your 20-30% growth comes from the existing customers, right? And when you do that, and then you get any new customer, your LTV CAC actually goes up significantly because you know exactly how to bring more of. I think uh, those were like the biggest learnings to know, uh, in the, especially in that phase of the journey. It's great, uh, uh, it's great learning. I mean, I see, it's weird because uh, I, I read so much about this and you, you know, the ICP and you, you, you kind of hear so much about it. Uh, I wonder also if it's because I, I consume like quite a lot of content and I'm looking in certain areas that, that there, there is like, I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm in a bit of a bubble uh, around that. Um, but I, I feel like perhaps this uh, this lesson and, you know, looking at the ICP is something that, you know, now early stage founders certainly should, you, you know, be aware of, uh, you know, a, a lot more. But having said that, there's there's still this temptation, right? Or I'd say, okay, you carve out, you know, who's the ICP, and then let's say, I don't know, you know, a big customer kind of comes in and they don't fit the ICP, but they're gonna have a six-figure contract, you know, or more. Um, and your sales rep is talking to them and they're looking at, well, the six-figure contract is gonna, you know, help me somewhat to you know hit my quota and help the business. But you're feeling that actually, well, this is outside the ICP, and you know, is it actually going to be a good customer for the business? So we're going to we're talking about well, moving into talking about the art of saying no. But when saying or speak, uh, saying yes, let's say uh, to customers, um, you know, have you or you, you know said yes to customers in the past that were a wrong fit? Um, you know, and was this again? Was it regarding were they a wrong fit because of you know? They were they were going to give you a lot of feature requests that you probably would take you you know off track, um, or that you just knew that you wouldn't necessarily like satisfy them potentially kind of with this product again because they just weren't the right ICP. Um, so have you done that? Has there been an example? And then like you, again, look what the outcome is because pretty much everybody I've spoken to has said yes, you know, including ourselves, right? And then you kind of know. But, you know, it, it might not necessarily kind of work out that well. And it always, you know, almost always ends up 
like what, what, what your gut was telling you. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I have a very specific example of a customer who was a perfect fit and over the course of their journey, how it actually turned into something where we had to have that mutual conversation to part ways. Right. I think uh, this one is actually specifically uh, soilent. Like phenomenal. Uh, I think they got phenomenal press, right? And yeah. then we, we got them as an early customer when they were like first few millions. And then um, at that time, the, the team was like completely digital first customer acquisition. And they were an e-commerce store, like in a true sense where they were having a tech stack. They could actually consume API because the founder was one of the CTOs. The One of the founder was a CTO. So it's a per- perfect fit for an API first product like Chargebee. It was a perfect fit, right? And then we scaled with them. And then using that logo name, we were able to get so many more people because they were like, they knew Soylent. Oh, they are funded by Anderson Horowitz and they are using you, right? And then you get that initial traction because you get them a good name yeah. as a customer. When, at what point did we realize that we are not a good fit was when the their business was hitting scale and they were actually realizing that for them, to get to the billion dollars of revenue, they had to go stores. Like they went into Whole Foods and then they had to get shelf space in retail stores for them to scale their business because it's a food business. And, that, and then for them, e-commerce, they figured was going to be a minuscule part of that strategy. And pretty much everything else that they do has to be store first. And then the footprint of this was going to be very different. And that's when we realized that it's very. It's going to be very hard, right? We we could have either hacked our revenue path to say, okay, yes, it's going to be large, and then let's figure out how to solve for it. But we realize that it's going to be even if the, our paths converge at some point where we might have ambitions to go there to support a business like that. It would actually take us from a majority of our customers that we were already committed to, and to scale, right? And uh, that's when we had to tell them that, no, we are gonna, not going to be able to do all of this because it doesn't even align in our priorities for the next two, three years. We are not able to see ahead, right? To, to say, okay, at what point we want to say yes to all the features that you are asking. So it was actually a customer that we had said yes to and benefited a lot mutually uh, working with them. And then we could see that, okay, so this is a customer where we had to part ways uh, simply because of the paths uh, diverging. Why, why is it important uh, I guess we moved to say no to customers, you know, uh, and, and I think like beyond that, it's just important saying no to, to many things. But in this instance, saying no to customers, why is it important and what use cases uh, should we be using that word? I think if, if we in, truly believe that like uh, one uh, Australia customer, right, um, specifically said it was supposed to be a $40,000 deal at that time, like pretty big deal at that time for us. And uh, the customer had, we, we could see a mutual fit of all the features they, they asked for today, right? Uh, but what we saw was they, they had certain requirements to actually expand in a particular way. And we and the customer was asking, hey, do you think you will build this at some point in time in the future, right? And we could not see us adding that, prioritizing that in the next nine to three to four quarters because it was not a fit at all for us in terms of when we look at like pretty much all the other customers that we were having at that time. And um, I remember having a very hard, because the customer had invested time in evaluating us and they were ready to sign. Uh, And it was also, the sales was really fighting because they were super annoyed that this was like one of the large deals at that time for us. And then we were actually uh, internally telling our sales team that no, we cannot do it. And they were pushing for features 
like it's just one or two features and they were asking for that mm. at that time right so the, the conversation we had was yes it is possible for us to make an exception about the one or two features but it, it's the one or two that they know today right let's have a call with the customer to just understand their roadmap so we went into the call and then tried to understand like can we truly believe that we can be a partner to help your growth for the next like foreseeable 3 to 5 years because you are committing to like every it's not every day you change a billing system right so it's a uh, they are looking at a long term partnership and we could not honestly tell ourselves like if we were in the customer shoe if you knew the roadmap right would you actually try and get the money today knowing that you may not prioritize that even after one year um then we had to tell them the truth and said we may choose to say we will double down in your space if we expand vertically into your market but at this point i cannot guarantee uh, and say okay at some point we'll do it and we don't want to be in a situation where we hijack our roadmap and just because we said yes initially like it it might become a business decision rather than one customer decision and that that's not the right way to treat it so it, it was painful uh, internally the, the 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 sales team was heavily emotionally invested and it felt like we are robbing them of like a big win and we had to also tell the customer that um, and very interestingly 6 months later the customer came back saying what's the status i think this is worth exploring um i think after 12 months was when we eventually won them right and we 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 did get them as a customer later 12 months later when we could give uh, clarity um but it was a hard conversation but it was that instance that led to um vp of sales and our product leader and me right having that heated debate to talk about this and then we said okay now how do we draw the icp in a way that the sales knows they don't emotionally get too invested in certain deals what is that let's go define that and then we uh, started writing all the characteristics of the businesses and started giving more granular details to the the rest of the organization is okay this is our like clearly where you will say it's yes these are the ones where you have to ask the product before you commit and how do we change our process where the qualifying is more stronger earlier to understand these characteristics and then we also gave a list to say these characteristics characteristics you will say no clearly right and then um, yeah uh, i i think that, that those friction points are good if we like use it effectively No, definitely. I mean, is, is there an art uh, to say no, you know, and to still be customer centric? And if, if so, you know, if you've learned that, you know, please please share with uh, with our audience. Um, uh, I think treat them like how we would like to be treated, right? I think the the specific example is just being very empathetic to tell them that I am. I would love to take the money, but at the same time. can i uh, serve you with that full conviction that i can support you through the journey uh, that conversation becomes very important that be having that authentic conversation with the customer is uh, super helpful and i think we have never shied away from pointing them to alternate options even if they are competitors if that's actually a better fit i think that level of candor in the conversation generally is appreciated by customers uh, if we can uh, wear the consultant hat and be very objective about that recommendation i think those are the times when it's actually much easier to uh, say um, yes or no right and internally championing and speaking for the customer is very important and not taking a position to say how do i trick our team to somehow get yes is not the intent right so it's very important to um, educate the team 
more and more about it and why it's painful like uh, at scale incentives are really helpful like the incentive structures to penalize sales team if we bring in a wrong customer and the customer actually leaves in 3 months because of a misfit where we go down the implementation path and then if we don't find a fit if the customer has to be churned out then the earnings get taken out of the sales person right in their quota yeah are are systemic things that you can do but that's just uh, controls uh, to drive a particular behavior the more important one is to openly talk about losses right so one thing we have we started doing was in the audience uh, meetings not just talk about wins but also talk about these kind of losses and why it's painful for the customer why it's painful for us in the long run why how does it affect all of us especially in front of the gtm teams generally builds builds a little bit more empathy right it's not just that it's it's not lack of ambition it's not lack of um you know, hunger to want to win every customer um, a prospect as a customer it's just that from a 3000 customers if you want to go to 100000 customers you should get comfortable with knowing which 900000 customers you are going to say no to so that you can get the 100000 customers right and not get stuck with like 5000 customers right and get yeah. stuck at that number right so if you want to go longer then how do you actually make these sacrifices is a, a process of continuous education inside no de- definitely what what about um outside of saying no to the customers just in general you know as a founder uh or you know as an exec uh how important is it to kind of you know say no uh and at what times you know what are the benefits so have you any examples of you know how maybe you've moved away from saying yes to lots of things to 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 now potentially saying no and you you know uh, what what is the impact been so there are three stages right one is if especially in inbound product market fit stage we say yes to get a diverse set of customers to explore where you find product market fit so you are likely to say more yes to different types of customers to explore like uh, which where you find the fit right with some hypothesis iteratively you find that then there is a next phase of growth between the 1 to 10 when we actually say um no to a large number of customers especially if you know okay now this is the set of customers i want to grow with right that's the second stage when we say no to a lot of customers but the beautiful thing is if you i think if we do these two phases correctly the third phase is you get more of the similar customers that actually gives you the right to be able to say yes more often because they are all similar customers and you are scaling i think that's the most counterintuitive thing that uh, i have learned in um in this part there there is a, another one that i am now noticing which is happening which is the stretch where there is always that one big customer who is coming in and the sales team because we all play in the fringes where if you get like 100 customers who are at 50k you always get um, like couple of customers who are like a million dollar half million dollar deal and then showing at the doorstep now what happens like because it's exciting to be able to move up market with the customers and these deals like make a month if you actually win them now what do you do giving that so writing those things down about like when we will make an exception for that stretch customer and involving um uh, key decision makers in that process is, has been super helpful where that council of people actually make a decision to say yes or no and the decision rights are also very clear in such instances makes it much much more easier i'll give you an example um so we had this huge uh, manufacturing company from europe uh, which is a public company bringing in 1 billion dollar of arr into 
like sub- becoming subscription business and they said they are projecting 1 billion dollars and all of that and then they said okay we want to come in and the the group of people like including the product leader revenue leader and the marketing leader, they they had to make a call to say okay now how easy is it and and more importantly customer success and implementation they had to make a call to say okay can we like confidently say we can deliver value to them and defend that value long term they were not feeling comfortable with it they said we may invest a lot of energy and uh, into trying to win them but here is where we are going to say no the moment the deal bubbled up to a point where the sales person wanted to keep it like a secret low key thing where the opportunity value was not even big because they wanted to like try and see how long further along they can go even though the logo indicated that yes it can be big um it's very interesting because it's just human natural human behavior right and they were getting emotionally invested the moment it bubbled up somebody had to put the brakes on it and say okay now are we really committed to doing that and then uh, the council of people the decision rights was with them to say no to that right and every year we decided that when we were drawing up the roadmap to say we will make five exceptions for stretch customers but no more than that but the following year the beautiful thing is now you have expanded the footprint of who you can serve as a customer from going from $6000 acv customers to $20000 acv customers to $50000 acv customers becomes like a regular then you now call 50000 to $250000 customers as exceptions right and there is a phase when we are able to say yes to the larger customers and we keep expanding the footprint of who we can serve credibly without pulling the entire organization to get them over the line and also like you don't want your developers engineers everybody to code for a single customer right you want everybody to focus on like largest amount of customers and make very few exceptions i think this uh, is a constant struggle and we are always finding product market fit in a new segment all the time because the beauty of saas is it allows us to be able to stretch a little bit to serve more and more customers as you build up features um but it's it's very important to be able to uh, have clarity about decision rights in the organization and then designate certain people to make those exceptions and also allow them the freedom to say uh, no has been my biggest learning and uh, because that tells the entire sales organization and marketing organization like how the decision will be made i think people want this to be fair process even because uh, for every one of them it's like i i i notice when people actually say my customer right um and sometimes uh, you always feel like oh, why is this level of attachment to that but from their perspective it's like they are so closely tied to wanting to win this one deal and then championing that that almost like the even the vocabulary people use uh, you start seeing that emotional attachment but it's also important to help them understand that it's about the customer organization the team and then the individual right and we cannot reverse this order to actually make exceptions and we are only going to be making exceptions fantastic point and a great way uh, to to end the show as we come to uh, uh, to time there uh, krish but look uh, it's been fantastic uh, speaking to you and having you back on the the saas revolution show um you know looking forward to connecting uh, in amsterdam uh, hopefully in september i'll have to figure out when the uh, when the dates are uh but really appreciate that uh, new sharing uh, again with the uh, with the SaaS audience um from some fantastic lessons there on the art saying no and still being customer centric thanks so much uh, Chris Supermanian CEO of Chargebee thanks so much Alex for having me thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the SaaS revolution show i hope you enjoyed it And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events 
to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world.